For folks who don't know, the Free State Project is a movement of voluntary human action where we are trying to concentrate libertarians in the state of New Hampshire. I think we've got done uh, more in the last decade than every other libertarian movement combined has accomplished in the last five decades. Are my friends and my neighbors who are willing to stand against tyranny, make their voices heard, and have a goddamn impact. You have a problem with two people are afraid to say what they believe in, let alone actually do something about it. If you're afraid to stand outside the TSA line and piss off 97% of people who are waiting just to take the arm building up their ass for five seconds, then you're probably not ever going to make a change. Free State Project, again, it's, it's 1% of the Free State movement. I am a friend of the Free State Project. And would you encourage people to check a- it out? Absolutely. Check it out. Find out. If you like it, join us. Continue the effort. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, libertarians and anarchists, movers, natives, and those on your way, thank you for tuning in to Free State Live, where you get to hear about all the ways you can live free or die in the free state of New Hampshire. First and foremost, time to welcome back your hosts. I'm Justin O'Donnell, former libertarian candidate for U.S. Senate and host of the O'Donnell for Liberty podcast. Joining me as always, New Hampshire liberty activist and meme lord Bill Barger, activist and author Carla Garrick, president emeritus and current board member of the Free State Project. This week joining us is the chair of the New Hampshire chapter of Moms for Liberty, Rachel Goldsmith, and Kate Baker, executive director of the Children's Scholarship Fund in New Hampshire. More and more families are packing up and moving to New Hampshire, seeking a freer future for their children. And one of the most pressing concerns for any parent is the education that their children will receive. Kate's here to talk about her work in fighting for expanded school choice in New Hampshire and the future of education freedom in this state. But first, two minutes. For your weekly update. This week's weekly update starts with the good news. The Libertarian Party's back, at least in New Hampshire. A once dormant group whose activities could only be described as milk toast and ineffective, the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire over the years had become a shell of an organization that existed in the liberty, liberty sphere but didn't work to promote liberty in an effective manner. This all changed in the past year when a group of free staters and hardcore liberty activists decided to get involved and revitalize a dormant organization. After a few hiccups and a spite of growing pains, LPNH has come into its own as a force for liberty in the free state of New Hampshire. In their Thanksgiving update, the executive committee of the newly active party shared some good news and milestones from the past eight months, including nearly tripling their membership, updating its membership infrastructure, reaching millions of people with hard-hitting controversial messaging on social media, hosting and participating in over 75 outreach events targeted at growing their base of support for the New Hampshire Liberty Movement, and repairing their working relationships with other organizations working to promote liberty in our lifetimes by approaching activism in a decentralized yet coordinated manner. I, for one, am excited to see yet another organization working diligently to promote the ideals of liberty in New Hampshire, and am enthusiastic about what the future holds for the new, bold, vibrant, and active Libertarian Party of New Hampshire. And now for the re! 619DW Guns and Ammo in Merrimack, New Hampshire has never been shy about embracing their political views and standing firm in their beliefs. During election years, they tend to be one of the single largest collections of signs and roadside advertisements for the candidates they support. But in these trying times, they've taken to using their location to highlight the problems with the COVID regime and gun control. And boy, does this have some people mad. Anti-freedom types have taken to Twitter to complain about New Hampshire's freedoms are a dangerous scare to their delicate anti-guns and anti-freedom sensibilities. Once again showing 
that the haters are some of our best advertisers. So that's it for our weekly update um, in new format. We wanted to go show something good news, too. And finally, the Libertarian Party is back, but the left is still mad on Twitter. <laughs> Everyone's mad on Twitter. Even I'm mad on Twitter. What's going on? That's the whole point of Twitter. It's just a place for you to vent nonstop. Outrage. <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, Rachel, you and Moms for Liberty have caused a bunch of outrage on Twitter, a lot of subject of last week's weekly update, um, in what you're doing, putting bounties on teachers in New Hampshire's education system. <laughs> Incentives. <laughs> thank you very much. Yeah, so I mean, New Hampshire is one of, I think, 17 states that uh, has made it illegal to teach racism in school. Um, and that includes things like saying that people are inherently good or bad because of a race or a gender or, um, and New Hampshire is the only state in the country that has a, uh, a website where you can actually talk about this. Um, you can report a complaint, file a complaint to the system that is supposed to be holding teachers and um, school boards and school districts accountable. So Moms for Liberty, which is a, an organization, um, and Moms for Liberty, the Hillsborough County specifically, uh, which is an organization that holds school boards accountable and um, works to make them more transparent, uh, put out $500 to the first person who can find a bad curriculum um, or bad piece of uh, teaching and so it's really more of an incentive for me to like um, make sure that kids are being taught the alphabet instead of alphabet soup. <laughs> well, I love it. And because it kind of goes hand in hand with school choice, because a lot of last week's weekly update was people getting very, very upset about these laws, taking to Twitter to bash libertarians and bash Moms for Liberty for what you were doing. And one of the things that was pointed out by somebody is like, last week, you guys were all upset about expanded school choice, but this law only applies to public schools. Why don't you take your kids out of public schools and send them somewhere that's going to teach what they want? And I mean, that's the crux of what you've been working on, Kate getting people out of public schools or at least having the option, right? I mean, yeah, for a decade here in New Hampshire, <laughs> you know, recently, you know, the legislature passed education freedom accounts, which gives families access to the education funding that belongs to their child, the taxes that they pay for education. Now they have access to that. And so, yes, with that education freedom account, a family can choose any option that works for them or homeschool and have it available to them to, you know, purchase a computer or an online curriculum. And so, yeah, the debate always, you know, kind of comes back to if people had more options, then they could make the choices that worked for them. And perhaps we wouldn't always feel like, you know, it's a tug of war, right? The whole discussion is sometimes just a tug of war versus if you, you know, go to the lowest, not the families are low, but right, take it to the most local level, right? Parents and their children, could empower them to make decisions, then you can eliminate a lot of these debates about what's happening because people will choose things that are the right fit for them. And if it's someone, for example, I remember the same discussion around, um, you know, Common Core, and there's some people who want their children's schools to have that in it, and they could choose that. And then someone who didn't want that could choose something else. And so, yes, I, I like Corey DeAngelis, do think that having education, freedom, is the answer to most of our uh, conundrums that we experience today. 
Yeah. Uh, hi, Kate. Uh, thank you for all the work you do on this. It's really amazing. I was thinking for people who are new to this, can you maybe just tell people sort of who you are and what uh, the, you know, the scholar Children's Scholarship Fund is and what you've been spending, you know, the last 10 years that I've at least known you working on with a smile, with good energy and just positive, because honestly, all we're trying to do is make as many kids as possible happy. What's wrong with that? Right. No, thanks, Carla. Sure. So um, Children's Scholarship Fund in New Hampshire, initially, um, we were running our education tax credit. So we have several types of school choice in New Hampshire. We have charter schools, which are a form of school choice. We have our education tax credit program, which people make donations to the scholarship fund. They tell the Department of Revenue they're going to do that instead of pay their state tax, which is business enterprise, business profits tax, or interest in dividends tax. We've been doing that since 2013. And now we're running the education freedom account program also. And um, people are ecstatic and relieved. You know, during the um, pandemic, when the schools were all closed, our phones really were ringing off the hook here because honestly, there were people who needed to go to work in person and all of the schools were closed. And that created really a tsunami in the state of people who either were at home and their eyes were now opened to what was happening, you know, seeing what their kids were learning remotely or what they weren't learning. You know, I got a call from a family over that summer who had a, a fourth grader who couldn't read. And that was the first time the parent had realized that that situation was happening. So this entire uh, crisis really opened everyone's eyes to what was happening to their, you know, in their kids' education or not happening, right? And create a totally different environment around this discussion. And that pressure, I think, really on the legislature, you know, in essence, people were saying we need to rethink this entirely. And it's true, Carla, I've been doing this for a long time. And it was interesting because finally, people were understanding what I was talking about, right? <laughs> well, I think what's really been interesting is how long teachers have had advocacy groups. They have unions, they have lobbyists, they have all these uh, support, but kids are the ones who are the actual consumers and the products of education. And the only people who are advocating them for them are parents. And until very recently, until the last 10 months, parents have had to do this all by themselves. And, you know, so it's, made possible both by Kate because of the amazing work that she does to give parents informed choices, but also by other advocacy groups that have been cropping up, um, Moms for Liberty being one. Uh, but I was just in a meeting with a group called Defend Our Kids, which is a new advocacy group that's based here in New Hampshire that works to uh, bring accountability and to find um, new candidates for school boards. I, I want to chime in and just say, you were talking about how kids are the primary consumers of education or they should be at least for our government schools or for whatever schools. I feel like that's the biggest problem is they're not. It really is for the teachers. And if you look at all the funding, isn't the biggest tax, correct me if I'm wrong here, isn't one of the biggest taxes your average New Hampshire taxpayer pays their property taxes? Isn't this justified to pay for our government education system? So then if everybody's super unhappy with it, I know the government schools here are not great. There's some really wild statistics out there. If you look them up, I don't remember. It's like, it was like a 33% like people of people reading at their grade level or something. It's like, this is, this is wildly low for a whole system that's funded by every homeowner. So if we can actually get people to funnel their money out of that 
then perhaps we can justify lowering property taxes too. It's like, well, we're paying property taxes to pay for government schools. And then from that fund, everybody who opts out, we have to write them a check with these educational freedom accounts. And then if we do that, well, then why are we just putting this through this middleman? Why not people keep their money? We lower the property taxes. I don't know. Just just my thought. That's my greatest thing about this. Is like I love the the long term implications. If we can get that that big chunk of funding, just clearly not be spent being spent on our kids. So Bill is basically saying, if only we could cut out the middleman, the government, right. and put uh, you know the buyer and the consumer together like a free market does, then life would be better. And you're absolutely one hundred percent correct. Uh, for Rachel, I wanted to say I thought it was so funny with the uh, everyone being so upset about that website, which the Department of Education of New Hampshire put up, right? I mean, it's because there's a law, so they're following the law and they put the thing up and maybe people were just surprised that, you know, Frank Edelblue can work so fast that it got up really fast. And, you know, they're so upset considering everyone was claiming that none of these things were or are happening in our schools. So it seems so counterintuitive that people are like freaking out if you take that I sat through hours of testimony of people saying these kinds of things aren't happening here. Uh, Kate, I have a question for you. I'm just jumping around. Let me just talk one point about what you were just talking about. And, you know, that's not really my issue. You know, the DOE putting up a form on their website or whatever. But I thought it was interesting just as a bystander because you know, in the state, there's all of those careers that are that are regulated, right, by licensing. And each one of those does have a complaint process. So I was kind of surprised that this one made such a big hoopla when it really is actually seems like just a regular procedure for there to be some sort of complaint circle, I guess, is the best way I can describe it. So I thought it was really interesting that for some reason, this in particular caused such a, when, you know, like they have a medical overseers board and, and if you want to make a complaint, you just go there and you'd be like, I wasn't happy with this person and that they violated this thing. And that's a really normal to everybody. But for some reason in this space, it was weird okay. talking. That That's what I thought was really strange about it. Well, also like, okay, in an ANCAP world, you know, there wouldn't be this centralized complaint form, but there would be a Yelp for teachers. You know what I mean? Like, I would love to be able to go to my old social studies teacher and be like, yeah, he was kind of a creep. Like maybe let's get somebody else on board with that. You know, um, the same way that like for your restaurant, you know, you could say, well, this Cadoba sold me some very E. Cola E. Uh, <laughs> burritos like there should be that for teachers and there isn't well actually there should be that for all government departments right so partly what we're starting to see is as you know as technology has gotten cheap enough this is a plug for us the decentralized you know army of basement dwellers trying to change the world um, you know, are you, calling never, me basement dweller? are you calling me basement dweller? <laughs> We're all above ground. We can I tell know. from I'm on the second floor, <laughs> Carla. So, so the government has never been held accountable, right? So for the first time, because of technology and the way we are also able to share the stories, they are starting to be held accountable. And we're seeing it with police and with the opening of the police decertification. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to mention this and we'll, plug it for next week's show. But, you know, nothing good comes out on a press release 
on the, the, you know, the afternoon of Thanksgiving, the day before Thanksgiving, but they somehow removed, you know, 28 names off the lorries list on Thursday. You know, has anyone read anything about that in the papers? I certainly haven't. So, uh, mm. so, so they Carla, don't, Carla right. to that point, um, there was a, an article in the Wall Street Journal just two days ago. And there are actually 240 um, recall elections for school board members happening across the nation right now. Nice. And so, you know, the people that are at their school boards demanding that they hear parents and demanding that the school boards be responsive to the needs of their communities is not unusual or, or just for New Hampshire, right? I mean, that's happening all over the whole country. Is that something in a state like New Hampshire? Say that again, you cut out for a minute. Sorry, is that something you would see in a state? Is that a recourse we have here? I mean, obviously you were talking earlier about having uh, you know, parents run for school boards. I think that's one of the hugest things we can start to do, but I'm curious, can we recall our boards here or what does that look like? It's a great question. I actually have no idea. Rachel, do you know, because I know that there's some parents in your group that have been, you know, going to school board members and talking to them and writing letters and really active. Any ideas on that? As far as I know, we just have to put names on ballots and start to replace the bad actors and the corrupt people who are just in it. I mean, the Manchester School Board uh, officials make $3,000 a year. The Nashua School Board officials make $4,000 a year. I mean, there, there are people who think this is just worth spending, you know, getting that extra cash. Like, there may, you have to be a state rep for a hundred years in order to make up the amount of money that you get being a school board official in Nashua. And I think that it's just, you know, you just have to, the, the future belongs to those who show up as they say. Indeed, indeed. Um, so uh, Kate, can you tell us a little bit more just about the nitty gritty? I see a lot of questions from parents. You know, we have a lot of people who are very interested in the state right now. People are excited to move. It's a good time to move. And, um, you know, so they're asking about some of the nuances. So can we talk about like, what would the process be if someone wants, if a parent wants to get their kid into an EFA program? What does that yeah. look like? Okay, fun. Good. I love this, Carla. This is my <laughs> idea of a good time. So I, I do wanna make one point to what Bill was talking about earlier when he was talking about removing the middleman. And you know I think that this education freedom account idea is, is really fun and innovative. So we did a couple of things in New Hampshire that are different from other states. Um, for example, our program in New Hampshire is run by Children's Scholarship Fund and we are a nonprofit, a regular traditional 501c3 charity instead of um, being run by a state agency in most states in the nation these are run by state agencies and so having it run by a nonprofit in new hampshire does a couple of things it first of all we're we're extremely efficient right lean mean fighting machine my organization um so it's like 90 percent to kids and only 10 percent for administration which you know in a in a um nonprofit is gold standard so it's, it's fantastic like that and it also protects families, um, in essence, from any government overreach, because they have us in between as a, you know, yes, Bill, we, we kind of do look like a middleman in this, but it's almost like a good guy middleman, where we can protect the family's privacy and their education decisions that they want to make, and they're not directly entangled with 
you know, a, a department of, of the state of New Hampshire in that regard. So that's a really cool thing about this program, Carla. The other cool thing is um, because of that, we've been able to get up and running um, in record time. So in other states that passed similar type legislation, education savings accounts, they're all starting next fall or the fall after that. And we were able to get our program up and running in about eight weeks, which was unbelievable to everyone nationwide that it was even, no one even thought it was possible. That's why you'll see that debate. I don't know if you've noticed in the news where they've been attacking the commissioner saying it's so large compared to what he thought. Well, I'm not sure anyone thought that it was possible to get it up and running this fast. And it really was just planning and execution and having the resources of Children's Scholarship Fund National behind us and all of that infrastructure and being able to, to so to be able to do that really because we're a nonprofit and we're, we're agile, we were able to do that. And so that's a really cool part of our New Hampshire program that is exemplary, that it's not, doesn't create more government. If anything, it protects our families and protects their privacy from any, any overreach or future overreach that, that could happen. The other cool thing about this is the kids in the education freedom account are a quarter of the cost of a traditional uh, kid in public school. So if you're in public school in New Hampshire, you cost about $20,000. If you're in this program, the average is less than $5,000. So that's $15,000 of money, not tax dollars, not spent for every child that chooses to use this program instead of their traditional public school. And so from that perspective, from a, you know, wanting to have smaller government, you know, that's a really impactful difference on the local taxpayer bill. Right. And to me, I think that's a really important piece of it. Not that I do it for the cost savings, because honestly, I do it for families and kids so that they get the education they need. But as a taxpayer, I'm going to pay for my neighbor's kid kind of regardless, right? I've got to pay that property tax into my town and they're going to take it regardless. So shouldn't I then, you know, want that to be meeting the needs of a child so that they can do something. You know, there was a student in uh, Loudoun on an organic farm and, you know, farmers don't make that much money. So it was a family that needed our scholarship. It was a kid who was in the hall at Loudoun Elementary just on Khan Academy because he was so advanced. And his parents were like, there's gotta be something better for this kid than just sitting in the hall doing Khan Academy. They got our scholarship and he actually went to Stanford online high school. Wow. wow. That's awesome. So those kinds of things wouldn't be possible without these school choice programs. And that's what yeah. it does. It makes it so that if we're going to put money into a pool to educate kids, shouldn't it be the best possible environment for that student? So yeah. So, so two things. The first thing is like, you know, regarding the costs, if it costs more than it was expected to, this is a program that gives money back to the taxpayer. So if it costs more of the government budget, that means basically you're getting more money back. So that also means that more people signed up for it to get their rebate basically than they expected. It's like, this is a more popular idea than they possibly expected. I don't remember what the percentages are, but it's vastly more popular than they were hoping for. And what that means too, when you talk about $5,000 instead of $15,000, Twenty instead of twenty. Yeah, twenty. This is a huge surplus, right? Which now they have to justify. Well, where is this fifteen thousand dollars per student going? Which I don't think they're going to be able to justify in the long term. Which is a, another great thing. And then the third thing is, as far as a middleman goes, I will take any any like you guys are a nonprofit. 
you can show that 90% of your money is going towards the students and not towards paying your bills. The state is the worst middleman you could ask for. It's literally <laughs> lining the pockets of bureaucrats. And half the time, if it's a federal agency, they're bombing little brown kids overseas. I mean, like any middleman that's not doing that is better than this. At least competition is good. You know, you guys are probably doing a much better job than that. It's like the, any middleman that's not the state is a better middleman. Now, How many Kate, brown kids family. have you bombed, Kate? Yeah. yeah, nobody protects families. I mean, honestly, for me, it's protecting families. So, for example, um, in the bill itself, it protects freedom. It protects religious freedom. It protects the family's curriculum choices. I mean, it protects their privacy. All the student privacy laws apply to us. And so, you know, for me, that's a really important piece of how this New Hampshire program is designed that makes it much different from other states and much more um, family family friendly for sure. And honestly, well, Sorry. I was ask Kate, are there any limits on who can participate and who can take advantage of the program? I know there was a discussion and people had some questions this morning in the FSP Discord channel. And somebody had mentioned something about a new bill this year that's removing income caps and income limits on the bill on the that program. Was a compromise, yeah. So the original bill that went in um, was a bill in essence that said anyone that wants an education freedom account for their family can take it. Okay. And then in the um, in the Senate, that was just too broad for them. I think they were just uncomfortable and wanted to do something instead to see what would happen first before they were like, let's just change the whole education funding mechanism in New Hampshire, right? While I think that's a great idea to change how we fund everything, you know, people have to be, you know, understand how it works first before they're willing to buy in, I think, 100%. So they did put an income limit on the program. And we need the right senators is all I was saying. Yeah. It's 300% of the poverty line or below, which is not low income. It's really low and moderate income. So for a family of four, it's like 75,000. If you have a family of six, it's like 100,000. So they did do that, I think, to limit the number of people in the program, not necessarily because they wanted to um, have it be income driven. Because again, you know, my argument is always if you put some sort of arbitrary number limit on something there's always one person who's one dollar over who now you've excluded who you shouldn't right and since this money belongs to these taxpayers you know when you walk up to a traditional public school door they don't say are you low or moderate income they just you just sign up right and so so philosophically it makes sense to just have this money follow every child since it tech it belongs to the children right and no one else and so you know they heard those arguments they did do one piece in this as more of a compromise where they said okay we'll make it so you only have to qualify by income the first year that a child applies so when the child comes into the program they qualify by income then they stay in and they don't have to re-qualify by income and i thought that was really fair compromise because the last thing i mean you know why i do this work to help kids i mean you want to make me throw out a kid because the family earned one dollar over i mean that's just torture right that would be torture for me might as well just tear my fingernails off and, and so next thing you know Next thing you know, we've created an incentive where right. people are like, oh, you know what? I shouldn't take that job because now I can't, you know, get my well, money to keep my kid us. in the school, right? As much as, you know, I, I agree with you, I also don't. The sad part is that instead people take better jobs and then get kicked out of the program, sadly. Yep. Okay. And so that in reality was what was happening. They would take the better job and then I couldn't help them anymore, which is terrible, right? And so... 
you know, they might just earn a little bit more. So again, income limits are, are, you know, they're arbitrary every time and not necessarily right in the best interest of every kid, but at least in this program, they made it so that we didn't have to tell anyone they had to leave right once they were in. And so that was, that was a good um, compromise on their part. So Carla, the application is on my website. And it's, um, you know, if you just put Children's Scholarship Fund New Hampshire into Google, we're the first thing that comes up, but it's csfnewhampshire.org. And the cool thing about this is it's rolling entrance. So a family can come and apply anytime that they um, want to use it. And then I just put them in my next report. And so that's a really cool feature of it. It doesn't have like a, you have to apply by, right? You can just apply and you get into the next cycle. And so I think that's a really good again, freedom oriented, right? You want people to be able to make a decision and be empowered to make those decisions when they need to make them. In previous years, I used to have to save a little money I raised in like my bullied kids bucket, right? Just in case there was an emergency because occasionally a family would come to us in the middle of a school year. I remember a situation at Central High School in Manchester where a girl was dragged up to the stairs by the hair because she was targeted by bullies. And luckily I had raised a little extra money and I had that available to help that child in the middle of the year when otherwise I would raise the money and then use it all, of course, right? Expend it all to help as many kids as I could. The education freedom account, again, being rolling means a child or family can come whenever they're in that situation that they need to do something different. And so I think that also is, again, for education freedom, really important. So we have a... Yeah, Emily in YouTube. Yeah, Emily on Emily watching on YouTube asks, "Can these education resources be used for children with special needs? Public schools offer these services as part of their curriculum." Hi, Emily. Nice, to, nice question. So, about twenty-two percent of the kids in our program are kids with special needs. In our existing pre-education freedom account, we have our scholarship fund, and in our scholarship, they actually legislated a higher dollar amount for kids with special needs. And so that scholarship was about $5,000 that a family of a child with special needs, and you could qualify for that with an IEP coming from a public school or an ISP from your existing private school. And that's a whole nother discussion about how um, schools, private schools meet the needs of special needs kids, right? Or as a homeschooler, if you get your evaluation from the district, again, a whole nother discussion about special needs kids, but the scholarship exists. And then in addition to that, um, you can get an education freedom account. The only time actually that you don't use an education freedom account is when you're already in a public school full time because that money is already going to the public school. So if you're fully enrolled in a public school, then you wouldn't use an education freedom account because it's the same money that pays your public school district for you being there. So it would be useful again to a special needs child and family who wanted to do something different not in their public school setting. Good question. <laughs> uh, there was another question from somebody watching on Facebook that I had lost. I wanted to find it. Um, so Aiden it's, on Facebook. Oh, oh Aiden, what are my thoughts on Kevin Verville's local EFA bill? I mean, I think it's a really fun idea, Can right? Can you explain what it is first? Oh, yeah. sure. So there is a bill in the legislature that would make it so that, so you remember when we talked, I talked to Bill earlier and I said the average cost in a public school is $20,000, right? But a child in this education freedom account program is only about 5,000. And we were talking about that difference of 15,000 and where does it go or what is it? 
So that is your local. So education funding in New Hampshire is mostly local. Okay, so only about 30 or 35% of it is this state portion that I'm talking about that goes to this education freedom account right now. The other 60 to 65% of a child's education funding is all your local money. So what this bill says is a town can put a warrant article in, they can vote to do that, and then they can decide through this warrant article vote at the local level if they want to make that local portion of the money, which again, we know is around $15,000 available to a family to then put in their education freedom account and use for a different choice. And so since one, I love decision-making right at the lowest possible level. And two, I know that there are families that have additional need that the education freedom account, right? I can fill in the gap for some of those kids with a, with a little bit of a scholarship on top of it, but I always run out of scholarship money, right? I'm not, and that's, it would be impossible, right? To raise enough over time to keep up with every child's need that they have. Making some of that local money available to them sounds like a pretty cool idea, especially since it would be a vote of the town at the local level which is also something that I think is is kind of fun. So I hope I answered your question, Aiden. Yeah, it's like localism on steroids, right? That's that's the best. You know, you're not always going to get the decisions you want, but I think once you decentralize it to the closest to the decision makers and the people being affected by your decisions, uh, the better. So well, I think of Croydon, right, Carla? I mean, I think of Croydon. I mean, they've in essence done that in Croydon through the vote of their local school board to make it so that any child that's beyond their little K to four school then has that local education money to pay tuition at a school, either another public school or a private school or wherever the child wants to go. And so to me, it looks similar to doing that, but you could do it in a town that does have a school, perhaps, if you just wanted to create more you know, education freedom and more options for kids. So, so besides everyone who, moving, who moves to New Hampshire running for school board, uh, that should be step number one, because there are no residency requirements in the same way that there is to run for office. So you can hit the ground running here, but what are some um, thoughts or maybe some advice that you would give to parents who are coming in who are interested in, um, in some maybe unschooling and homeschooling? Maybe, Rachel, you could talk a little bit about like Bardo and some of the the moms groups and play groups, and then we can talk about some of the more technical things. Well, uh, I would say the most important thing to do, I mean, if you're visiting is to reach out to uh, Chris Lopez or um, any of the like FSP platforms and just let people know that you're planning to visit because uh, when you do that, you'll be able to get connected to all of the, I mean, it's a huge network, honestly, it's, it's a little bit overwhelming. Um, like I'm in on Signal, I'm on Telegram, I'm on Facebook. I get messages um, from people who are doing stuff all the time. I mean, there are homeschool co-ops literally all over the state. Uh, for example, I am doing a Spanish co-op on Fridays. Like it's, you know, people just do it all over. Um, Bardo has a Farm Friday once a month where they probably have 30 or 40 families um, every month that come up and uh, check out what they're doing and you know your the kids get to like feed cows and hold chickens and pet bunnies and it's you know and that's for the younger kids and for the older kids they actually 
do farm work. So, you know, you get real exposure to things. Um, Libertarian child labor. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. No, I mean, the apples are just, they taste better when they've been picked by little hands. Um, but I don't know. I think like New Hampshire is just really incredible for families, both because there's a real liberty community that already exists. Um, but there's also it's the top four in the nation for state parks and playgrounds. And there's so much green space anywhere you go. You just drive for five minutes and you're going to pass a playground. Um, let's see. There are some really great hiking like uh, there's the 4,000 footers. I think there's 40 of them. And if you are interested in hiking, there's tons of free state groups uh, that are all involved and want to do hiking with you and want to talk about um, why the government is terrible while they're <laughs> huffing and puffing up a mountain. So it's just a, it's a pretty cool place. Yeah. And we've got some innovation too in, in the education space here, obviously, Carla. And so you know, for example, there's been um, new schools popping up in New Hampshire where in other states um, schools are closing. In New Hampshire, new schools are opening. So there's a um, an Acton Academy that opened in the Lakes region and another Acton Academy that opened in the Seacoast. And those are both alternative models where the child is the hero and you go through a guide, you're like, the teachers are guides. And so that's really cool. We've had two um, like homeschool learning centers open, Big Fish in Dover for high schoolers where they're, the kids are homeschoolers, but they go and take courses and classes and might be there for you know up to four days a week. And then Latitude um, Learning, which now is in Derry, where uh, again, for more like grades, you know, K to you know, eight are there and they're doing classes and courses and might stay two or three days. I also had an opportunity to talk to a foundation nationally who opens um, schools and helps to do school startups. And now they're interested in New Hampshire because of our expanded school choice programs. And so I'm, I'm thinking that New Hampshire, you know, we were already innovative to begin with. We were already had a robust options here, you know, we already had almost good, better and best, but eventually I think we'll become like edutopia with the way that we're headed, especially with people now wanting to come to New Hampshire and open schools and invest, you know, for example, the Prenda program, Prenda is the online education model out of Arizona. They now have, I think even 10 Prenda learning pods running in New Hampshire with guides and that's, again, people coming together in a neighborhood. I know the, the moms that are the Prenda guides in Litchfield. And they have an adorable little Prenda pod there in their neighborhood where one of the moms is the guide and the kids come and they're doing, you know, again, at Prenda, you do online learning in the morning and then you're doing project-based and collaborative in the afternoon. And I think that's really fun and they're really thriving. Um, when the schools were closed, actually, there was a, a home for women and children that were in recovery in Manchester who also started a Prenda pod. And so I thought that was great that they were able to do that um, and meet the needs of the people there in the home for women and, and their children that are in recovery. So that was really cool to see that happen. And, you know, it's really the innovation to me is the most exciting thing as a person who loves education and wants kids to, you know, get the education they need. So that's that's been really exciting to be part of that. That's that's awesome. And there's also this unique program here um, that I don't think we've talked about yet. 
uh, Learn Everywhere. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about what that is? And I think it relates primarily to public schools, but it's also this cool innovative thing. We do. It really is a credit. It's really how you get credit for things. So in, in New Hampshire, in, oh my gosh, when was it? So they changed the education rules in New Hampshire in like 2005. It was something that Fred Bermonti worked on. And they changed all of the way that you gain credit in New Hampshire to be competency-based, okay? Meaning once you've mastered the topic, you should get credit. It's been implemented in some places and not others, right, statewide. Some people, some schools do a great job of giving kids credit for mastery and some don't, right? It's kind of been a little bit of a patchwork. But knowing that exists made it possible for the Department of Education and their, for a law to be passed so that kids can get credit for what they otherwise would do in a building, right, outside of the building. So for example, you might have an engineer teaching an engineering course who otherwise wouldn't necessarily be able to award the child their high school credit for that. They apply to the Department of Ed and say, we want to be a credit granting organization in this space. And then the family can go and choose to take that class or course that they offer and get credit to then use towards their graduation requirements. So it, it is a really, again, cool out of the box thing happening in New Hampshire that's not really happening other places, although people have asked the commissioner to go and teach them how he you know, did that and set it up and how he's qualifying the providers in that program. But again, cool website and they do list the providers that are available that are offering credit through Learn Everywhere. And again, just a, another way to increase education freedom for families because if you are uh you know you're a ballerina right and you're doing point class every day after school you're there i mean shouldn't you have your pe credit i mean to me right. you should, you, your pe is covered man you know right yeah, yeah. i'm thinking that you know? pork should uh, uh apply for accreditation and then we can do some kind of <laughs> Shark Tank entrepreneurial accreditation at, at Porkfest. I don't know. Maybe there are actual criteria of who can teach these things. It's, it is a bit. There is a. It's pretty, I mean, I won't say. Yeah, it's I heard it's a rigmarole. You would need to be able to show that you're going to be able to do an assessment, right? So you have to have a whole rubric for measuring your. Walk the white line, you know? turn around, yeah. put your yeah. finger on your nose. <laughs> what's exciting to me is just, what's exciting to me is the, uh, the, the discussion is happening here, right? And finally, when I'm talking about these things, people are not like, what are you talking about, right? People are understanding it now. I mean, that's what happened over the past two years is it made it so that everybody realized, you know, having more choices make sense. Having options available to families makes sense. Having education freedom is really important. Now we know why, right? And so that to me is the most exciting piece, whether it's Learn Everywhere or it's the education freedom account or it's the parents you know, going to school boards and, and saying you should be listening to us. This is what we want you to teach and what we don't want you to teach. I mean, all of that movement is in the right direction as far as I'm concerned. 
Do you so have a... one? I would say one of the biggest choices we've seen people taking advantage of, especially in the past year, has been the huge growth in homeschooling, not just in New Hampshire, but in the country altogether. Like, and your programs can help people who want to homeschool their kids. But like, what are the benefits in New Hampshire to homeschooling that sets it apart from other states? I mean, our homeschooling law is is fantastic. I mean, the homeschoolers in New Hampshire have done a beautiful job of preserving freedom and increasing freedom for homeschooling. You come, you know, a New Hampshire family notifies their participating agency one time and says, we're going to homeschool. And then they do their thing. The homeschool family does an assessment of their child or gets a teacher's letter. They keep that. They don't have to turn it in to anyone or prove that they're doing something. I mean, real, we do really have pure freedom homeschool laws, and that's really helpful to families. And in addition, if you're a family who needs assistance, right, or my scholarship exists for homeschool families, or again, you can become an education freedom account student. And the cool thing about way, the way that is written is it meets compulsory attendance. So you don't have to be a homeschooler. You can be a separate education freedom account student and say you decide down the road that, you know, oh, something happens to me and I'm not here anymore to protect everyone, right? And so suddenly the state puts a new piece of, of law into this that adds strings. You can withdraw from the education freedom account and just file your intent to be a homeschooler and go back to being a homeschooler and have no association with it. So it is two separate things. And, and that was on purpose, again, to preserve freedom in New Hampshire. So like, the way we do things here, homeschooling and our school choice programs is really just, I mean, it's fantastic. It's and, and real freedom. And we should add, actually, that the scholarship fund that you run is fully funded by businesses who donate and get a tax credit to underwrite these scholarships. No, so it's also tax neutral in terms of, you know, hitting up anyone in terms of a taxpayer. So, yes. you know, like the, the value proposition, I think, of what we're doing here in New Hampshire on the education front is just 100% undeniable. And it's so exciting to see because it's really been an area where there's been a lot of effort, there's been focus, there's been someone like you who's actually strategically looked at the picture. I think we should not discount genuinely that having Frank there at the right time, someone who had the agile skills to be able to take what happened with COVID and make it work. The implement. other states... You have someone that can implement, Carla, you're right. I mean, it would be impossible to implement the education freedom account without, you know, Frank and the, the, and the Department of Education being agile and responsive, right? And so you're, so you're right. The leadership in New Hampshire is really, you know... It's it is there. It's very education freedom leadership. There's also, I think, just a general ethos where, of independence, an independent streak, if you will, in New Hampshire. Like uh, a few weeks ago, when the department, uh, the national DOJ, called parents domestic terrorists, uh, and the National School Board Association called parents domestic terrorists and asked for the FBI to send out a watch on them. The New Hampshire School Board Association immediately said that they were not associated with that and within several days pulled their affiliation from the National School Board Association altogether. So now the New Hampshire School Board Association is no longer connected to anybody who's ever said anything like that about people who care about their children's education. 
That's that's just amazing, right? And I think that's part of this trend we're seeing towards more decentralization, nullification of crap coming out of the swamp, DC, Hellmouth, whatever your preference for, you know, the 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 crappy places. And um, and it's a testament to New Hampshire and to really the efforts and the work that we're doing here. Um, I did want to point out something, I think, Kate, that you said about the privacy issue that we look at when we look at um, some of the programs that you're working on. And I think it's worth noting that that's another value proposition in the state of New Hampshire is we do have a lot of legislators and people who are in office who deeply care about privacy. Of course, we passed that privacy uh, constitutional amendment in 2018, uh, Article 2B. Uh, you know, you, to pass a constitutional amendment in the state, you have to get it through the state house, uh, both sides and the governor, and then you uh, put it on the ballot to uh, have people vote. And 82% of Granite Staters said, yes, we want more privacy. So I think when we look at the long-term vision of the state of New Hampshire, one of the things I really wanna see us focus on and have the Liberty people think about is this idea of protecting people's personal privacy to the extent they want, because that is a, your right as a human being. You're like, I'm allowed to know what I wanna know, and then other people are allowed to know what I allow them to know. Not the government saying, we need to know everything about you, and you're not gonna know anything about us. Right. It got flipped on its head, and it's time that we flip it back. And I think we're in really, really good shape in New well, Hampshire. Carla, what you're, what you're talking about, really, in terms of education is, in New Hampshire, we trust parents right? We trust parents to make decisions for their child's education. We trust parents that choose to, to educate their children at home. We trust parents that choose a private school for their child, right? We trust parents to make those decisions for their children. And I think that is what you're seeing overwhelmingly as a trend nationwide. And we just happen to be towards the tip of the spear here in New Hampshire, where We've always thought like that because that's how we operate here, right? In the live free or die state, of course we trust parents. When someone says something the opposite to that, we go, oh, wait, that seems really strange, right? Why don't you trust parents? And so in New Hampshire, we really do trust parents to make those decisions for their children and they know their kids best. I mean, that they're the parent. Right, and we're the- is one of the top most educated populaces in the whole country. So, you know, it's very easy to say like, well, they're not paying attention or parents, you know, don't care necessarily. They, they're delegating responsibility to the schools. And that's just not the case here. Parents want to know, they want to be involved in their kids' education. And as a result, schools have to be accountable, whether it be well, private I'm or public or home. And I don't even know if it's because we're educated, Rachel, because most of the families that I help in the program, remember, are low income people. But for them, remember how high stakes it is, right? Like people that are that have challenges economically struggle, right? And these are people that do not want their kids to struggle. They want their children to break the cycle of poverty and have a better life than they had. And so sometimes the decisions that they make are even better than someone who might you know, be more comfortable in not thinking about it, right? Because they're thinking, how do I get my kid the education they need to succeed? I have a mom in Keene whose daughter's just graduating. She's been in our program since she was in fourth grade. And I remember her telling me, 
she's going to go to college. She is not going to struggle the way I struggled. My daughter is going to go to college. And for that family, you know, their goals are so, you know, they really want to break the cycle of poverty. The education decisions that they make sometimes are even more conscientious. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, you you mentioned the tip of the spear, and I just you know want to you know this is the FSP show, so I'm going to give a little FSP shout out here. The reason I think that things are happening so fast and uh, strategically and well in New Hampshire really is a testament again of the movers. And I really want to encourage people who are, who are watching this. I saw someone's comment come across and they said, you know, they have friends that want to move and, you know, this is very hopeful. So if it sounds hopeful to folks, come and visit, but really know that we need, we need more people to come. Imagine if you had a principled libertarian on every school board in New Hampshire. And that is not unachievable. I mean, I think there are what, 272 towns or something. I think when you count all the towns and villages and everything together, it's in that range. And I'm like, we could do that. So more mommies, bring your kiddos, come breed them for freedom and, um, and come help us, come help support these brilliant ladies who are just, you know, out there doing this, this incredible work. I had well, one more- support me by applying, frankly, right? By letting me help them, Carla. I don't need anyone to help me. I, I wanna help them, remember? So yes, it's, it, you know, happy to take calls from people and talk about education options available in New Hampshire. You know, I kind of have a little Google mapper in my head and I love doing that. And so absolutely, I mean, come here and participate in the vibrant education freedom landscape that we have. You're on mute. Justin, you're muted. I'm always muted. Oh, man. <laughs> this is a great show, uh, super informative, super helpful. And I hope everyone watching and those who come to watch definitely learn and take away from it. And remember, if you're watching this later on YouTube, Odyssey, or listening on Spotify, or anywhere you listen to podcasts, leave some comments and tell us what you thought, and tell us about what you want to hear about from other shows in the future. And going forward, if you're coming to visit New Hampshire, if you haven't made your moves yet, I've had it up on the screen the whole time, fsp.org slash visit NH. Get in touch, get connected, figure out what you want to do, figure out where the community you're going to fit in best is before you make your move. And also check out seacoastwelcome.org. They've got some events coming up in the near future where they're giving tours of the seacoast, tours of the state. They're doing a Liberty bus tour for people coming to visit New Hampshire who want to check out all of uh, the issues, everything going on in the state and all the different communities in the state. And I don't know the exact date off the top of my head, but coming up, check out freestatecrypto.com. The longest running cryptocurrency meetup in the world is getting ready and getting set up for their 500th consecutive weekly crypto meetup. And they're selling tickets on freestatecrypto.com and you can only purchase them in cryptocurrency. That's like it's, 10 years, right? 500 so weeks. Almost like 10 years. 10, that's like 10 years of yeah. meetups weekly consecutively. That's why. <laughs> and of course, it wouldn't be a plug without the plug with Rachel here. Rachel, 
What should people be excited about for Liberty Forum? <laughs> uh, Liberty Forum is going to be a lot of fun this year. We're doing a very uh, attendee-engaged focused session. So we'll have Corey DeAngelis, uh, and I hope Kate will be joining us as well. I think we've talked about it. Um, doing some workshops, not just talking to you, but talking with you about how you can get more involved um, with your child's education. We have Per Byland, Michael Munger, Preston Byrne, Jeff Diaz, Jeff Tucker. We have every major secessionist organization in the country doing a talk on um, why secession is a, a good idea, the national divorce. Uh, people from Reopen New Hampshire, which is an organization that has been focused on, you know, combating the government's reaction to a cold. Um, so I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Check it out. NHLibertyForum.com. It's March 4 through uh, 6 in Manchester, New Hampshire. Super fun. And make sure you hit the like and subscribe button on this video on YouTube and Odyssey. Make sure you hit that subscribe button on Spotify or wherever you're listening to the podcast. And make sure you give the Free State Project a follow on social media, especially over on Twitter at Free State NH. And everybody else, Carla, where can people follow you? Uh, follow my name, which no one can spell. It's G-E-R-I-C-K-E. -E. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm the most known Carla Garrick in the world, so you'll find me that way. I'm on Facebook. I've become a crazy lady on Twitter, so get in on the action. I am saying the funniest shit that is getting zero likes, so uh, that's wrong. And I just want to put on a plug to say we have to centralize to decentralize. Hey, Bill, where can everybody follow you? Hey, Bill is a joke where it says on the Twitter thing in the comment right there. And then also just follow. If you see LPNH or Mises Caucus, New Hampshire graphics and stuff, that's them. Follow those guys. Those are my people. Also the Free State Project, but you guys know that already. And if Rachel, if people want more information about what you're doing, what you're working on? Uh, well, Moms for Liberty, you can find us on Twitter, uh, M4L, Hillsborough, County Moms for Liberty NH and Moms for Liberty Hills. Uh, sorry, Moms for Liberty NH and my Twitter is Rachel BTC Smith, and I'm also on Facebook. And Liberty Forum has a website and a Facebook and a Twitter and then everything that you could possibly desire. And Kate, Just where can things, people actually. learn more about what you're doing? Well, thanks again so much, you guys, for inviting me, and thanks for having me. It's Children's Scholarship Fund, New Hampshire. Yeah, you can see the CSF underscore NH. And we have a Facebook and going to our website to apply is what I, the most important. There it is, csfnewhampshire.org. Perfect. All right. Well, again, thanks everybody for joining. Thanks everybody for watching. Thanks everybody who had questions. And we look forward to getting your questions again next week. Next week, we're going to have Jeff Cream of the New Hampshire Liberty Alliance to talk about what libertarians are doing in the legislature and what they're doing with legislation to make New Hampshire a more free place overall. Until then, be free.